Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Rational Face Podcast. Uh, we're back with Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife for another installment in the Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist series with me and Laurel asking and discussing the questions. Jennifer, Laurel, hello. Hey. Hi. Um, we do have two questions today. But before we get to that, I want to, as always, check with Jennifer. Are there any announcements? Are there new workshops or things that we should be aware of? Yes. So I have two workshops coming up. There is two retreats. One is a women's retreat that's going to be in Eden, Utah at the Powder Mountain Resort from September 13th to the 15th. And this is the Art of Desire um, course in the form of a retreat so it's a longer or there's more information and more time with all the material but it's also an all-inclusive experience so you stay at the resort you get all of your meals and uh, activities in the evenings and exercise options and movie night and time interacting with me quite a bit so uh, we have done one other retreat in Oregon, which was just phenomenal and wonderful. So this is um, a Utah version of that. And so you can find out about that on my events page of my website. And then we're also doing a couples retreat in um, Jackson Hole at the end of October. And we're doing both a relationship segment and a sexuality segment. And people can come for one or both of those. And that is pretty close to, it's almost sold out, but there's still room if, if you're fast about getting in there. So that's also on the events page. And I'm going to be actually traveling with my family, meaning we will be abroad over the next nine months. So I am coming back to do those events, but those will be the only things I'm doing until mid-year 2019 uh, in terms of workshops. So if you know you want to be a part of it this is your opportunity so yeah excellent all right so a uh, couple um workshops you can get in and uh, as usual look on jennifer's page for the details of those um i think from here we should go right into the questions i will read the first question question number one my husband and I have listened to all the podcasts, and they have been very helpful. We've also read She Comes First. I still have a difficult time having an orgasm with him. We have a long history of an unfulfilling sex life. We got married young, and I had no idea what an orgasm was even supposed to feel like, let alone how to have one. I always heard that masturbation was wrong, so I didn't try that route until recently. I didn't have orgasms for the first 27 years of our 28-year marriage, yeah, frustrating. I felt like there was nothing in it for me. I have a lot of trust issues with him, and I don't know if it's a mental block or just my body. We have been doing marriage therapy this past year. I have a small vibrator. That helps some, but it's easier for me to give myself an orgasm. Should I just forget about trying to have him give me an orgasm? It feels selfish to bypass him and have pleasure by myself, but now that I know what orgasms feel like, I'm not going to live without them. It's so frustrating. Well, I'm glad that uh, you have figured out how to have an orgasm and that uh, after so much time to have discovered it and to discover the pleasure in it, that's a great thing. When it comes to the issue of, of having an orgasm with your husband, I think that 
generally speaking, uh, anxiety interferes with orgasm for females in particular. For men, anxiety can actually create premature orgasm, meaning having an orgasm sooner than you want to have one. Um, and or for men, it can also create um, uh, delayed orgasm or basically not having one. So, um, but for women, primarily it means difficulty achieving orgasm if anxiety is high. And so it sounds like from what you're describing that there is anxiety in your relationship with your husband. There's something about this interaction that feels uncomfortable for you or in which you don't feel free or you don't feel able to really let yourself go. And so what exactly is happening between the two of you? I don't have the information here to know, but I can sort of think out loud about what you're saying and, and what you need to deal with. So I might be asking myself, if I were you, why does it feel unsafe or undesirable to orgasm with him? Or, you know, for some people, they track that. You, you spoke to the issue of not trusting him. So, you know, if you were sitting here in my office, I would be asking, you know, what is it that you don't trust about him? And why is it that having an orgasm with him feel might feel somewhat undesirable to you? You know, I, I think that women are much pickier about where they show up sexually because it's more exposing. It's, uh, it's more vulnerable, even from a biological perspective. Uh, and possibly psychologically more vulnerable. And so women are much choosier about where they allow themselves to really open up and express themselves. So I would be looking at what is it going on? Is it the way he touches me? Is that the way my husband is with me? Is it that I anticipate criticism? Is it that I anticipate judgment? Um, is it that he's not a generous lover, that he is more in it for proving himself, not really about giving to me? And I track that selfishness. I track the self-service. Um, is it about feeling insecure about my sexuality? So for many women, they may be with a good man or a man who would like to be able to give them um, a pleasurable experience or be a part of a pleasurable experience. But for some women, it feels too exposed or uncomfortable to let themselves really show their spouse their sexuality, to show them having a complete pleasure. So, so for some women, they don't want to have their husband witnessing them at the height of pleasure. Some women don't, they compete with their husbands and they don't want to give their husbands the satisfaction of bringing them to orgasm. And so it's kind of, you know, they don't want to really grant their spouse that satisfaction of having been a part of that. Um, and sometimes that's because they track there with a selfish partner who wants to make it all about them. But sometimes it's about kind of competing with and even holding their spouse down. So I would just, if I were sitting with you in, in a session, I would be trying to better understand what's going on in the dynamic and what's your part in it. Uh, possibly in um, why having an orgasm with him feels unfavorable or anxiety evoking. And then it would mean dealing with what 
is going on there, whether it's on your side or his side or both. Um, because it's not a, doesn't sound like a biological issue. It sounds like you're able to achieve orgasm just fine and that they're pleasurable for you. So it sounds more like a psychological or relational issue. And um, in order to be able to create that together, it would mean dealing with what's happening between you. And you know, this is a lot of what I deal with in my, my online sexuality course is helping people to understand what are the meanings that are at play in their sexual relationship that are interfering with more freedom and pleasure and openness and trust because you know those meanings are alive and well even if no one's saying a word even if it's just in the way that one is touching or receiving the touch um, that it's communicating a meaning frame that often interferes with openness and um, arousal and pleasure so it feels like there's a meaning at play here that's interfering and so it would mean trying to discern and sort out what that is for the two of you and um, if you have the online course going through those questions I think they're in session for it really help you better track what are the meanings that are are, are we are negotiating in our interactions they would help you to kind of sort out and tease out what's happening between you um so one thing i was wondering that um i think you're right in your interpretation of it but it doesn't say explicitly that uh so in her question she says uh the vibrator helps some but it's easier for me to give myself an orgasm should i just forget about trying to have him give me an orgasm um, mm -hmm. I wonder if she's dividing her sexual experiences into masturbation by herself and then sex with her husband intercourse or mm. something like that. And there is mm -hmm. the possibility of her masturbating with him next mm -hmm. to her. Yes. That would probably be a good next step. I mean, certainly figuring out what's going on in the relationship, right? But if she is feels like I would like to try and have this experience with him, let's say that but her primary anxiety is is letting herself be seen as sexual and letting herself uh, expose her sexuality and eroticism to him, a good next step might be to bring herself to orgasm while she's say on his back and he's not facing her do you see then she could if that's her anxiety about being experienced and witnessed in this way it's a way of starting to share herself while sort of mitigating the sense of exposure and then she might try to do that while she lets him see her right then she might try you know after this is getting more comfortable and more normal then she might try allowing him to learn how to touch her right to learn what feels pleasurable and favorable to her uh, but that would be addressing the challenge of i'm anxious about you seeing me as a sexual being if she felt like the challenge is i feel like you're a selfish lover or that you're in this for me then it would be about him more being willing to look at who he is as a partner and as a sexual partner and he would need to be addressing kind of who he is and how he engages her 
sexually and um, even affectionately. And so, you know, one of the exercises I talk to people about is is touching with an intent to express love and investment in your partner, not where many of us touch with the intention to get or to kind of get sexual validation from our spouse. So he might need to look at how he actually engages his wife uh, sexually and outside of the sexual, explicitly sexual experiences, because there might be something to be addressed there. Let's say she's competitive with him and doesn't really want him to have the satisfaction of bringing her to orgasm. Well, then she would maybe need to confront her own selfishness and competitiveness. And then it would be more a function of of allowing him to affect her, allowing him, allowing herself to receive him, to receive pleasure from him. And I probably wouldn't start with um, bringing her to orgasm, but maybe just receiving pleasure and receiving him in uh, less explicitly sexual ways, then working into more and more sexual engagement. So, so the treatment would be related very much to what is actually going on in this couple that an orgasm with him is not palatable for her. Yeah, so there's like three or four paths they can go down depending on what their situation actually is. Right, exactly. I mean, if it's been that long being married and having an orgasm, I also wonder, you know, having grown up LDS myself, if there are just certain associations we have with sexual pleasure that especially if you've had sex one way with the same person for so many years, Mm -hmm. that suddenly adding something so new and so vibrant. Yeah. Um, sure. There's just not a way. It's like you have this puzzle that it's uncomfortable, but it still is fit. And now all of a sudden you have this radically different piece. Yeah. Um, and then just is could some of it just be like yes. trying to fit this in somewhere and not really figuring out how it fits with the other pieces of, I guess, yes. the puzzle is sex, you know, <laughs> like how. That- yeah, I, th- I think that's um, I think there's no question that 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 couldn't be a factor for people that. Even when people have been, you know, frustratingly challenged in their sexual relationship, um, that to really allow it to become an erotic relationship, to really allow it to become more sexual and pleasurable, is often a really big step for people. It's a real change in how they characterize and think about themselves and the relationship. And so it is a big shift. And I think anytime you're going to let your relationship really grow and really evolve, it means tolerating more exposure. It means tolerating um, seeing yourself in different ways and being seen in different ways. And it takes more courage than sometimes we really acknowledge to let ourselves develop within the context of a partner who has known us well or at least known us in a particular way for a long time. But I do think that's at the core of good relationships is relationships that you let evolve and you tolerate that discomfort um, in order to allow expansion to happen in the marriage. In fact, I think, you know, the research on happily married people, they talk, happily married people talk about the fact that they experience the marriage as a place in which they ex- have experienced self-expansion. 
That is that they have expanded their sense of who they are and what they have experienced in the world and what they've become capable of. So expansive marriages are happy marriages. You get to belong to another person, but also belong to your own self-development in a, in that marriage. Unhappy marriages are, by contrast, restrictive. You feel constrained, like you can't really be yourself. You can't really express yourself. Um, you have to shut off big parts of yourself because it doesn't feel safe or tolerated in the marriage. So, you know, I think couples have negotiate and have to decide what kind of marriage they're going to co-create. Thank you, Jennifer, for answering that uh, question. I think those are some good uh, talking points and discussion points for listeners to uh, jump off of. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Laurel, could you please read question number two? Mm-hmm. I'm wondering about what is healthy for me, sexually and otherwise, when my husband is in an emotional space in which he hasn't chosen me. He has only recently become self-aware that he is living a double life. His persona outside of our home and when he is clean from pornography viewing inside our home is the vision of a perfect priesthood holder. During any point in this cycle he is in, he isn't much of a friend. He's incapable of seeing how he treats me, which is pretty well described by saying I get to waffle between being the annoying lesser being and a nice roommate. When we first married, the sex was amazing for both of us. Six months in, he started rejecting all of my advances, which truly hurt. For a while, I would give myself to him when he wanted it out of insecurity, but that didn't feel good. Having to respond positively to his needs while not having mine reciprocated felt controlling and disrespectful to me. I enjoy sex, so moving forward, I tried to focus on the physicality and pleasure. This felt empty, devoid of the intimacy and connection my heart desires. Because I cannot feel close to him or loved by him, and the affection he offers me just means he wants sex, I have cut everything off. He doesn't understand how I am experiencing a very one-sided relationship, and I've stepped away from what feels like a cruel cycle that only leads to pain for me. He feels like a victim and says he doesn't feel accepted by me because of this. My need to be loved and accepted aren't on his radar. We just started the church's 12-step program. He is also not seeing a therapist as was recommended. What advice would you give someone dealing with a porn-addicted spouse? I know that here in Utah, I am not alone. Is there a mindset that could help me navigate through the difficulties caused by the addiction? I'm losing hope and not thrilled about the idea of going through a divorce. Thank you. Okay, so this is a um, good question and a, and a hard question, and there's probably a lot of things I could ask to make me more certain in my response to it. Um, but what it sounds like to me and, and what I don't know is when in this timeline your spouse started looking at pornography and kind of how you think that impacted or changed things. But um, it sounds to me like the pornography viewing is an expression of who your husband is and not so much that the pornography has infected your husband and turned him into a selfish person. It, it, it feels to me that when the relationship started out, that he was enthusiastic about it, that he uh, was... Um, maybe excited by and happy about the newness of the sexual relationship and so on. 
as many people are in the beginning, but then shortly into it, and this is what a lot of people will do, is when they have the exposure of an intimate relationship, you know, that you've really chosen someone, you've married them, a lot of times people will handle the inherent vulnerability of a relationship, of committing yourself to someone by getting themselves into a control position where they they get they basically become the person who's less invested as a way of having more control in the relationship. And it feels to me from what you're saying that this is what your husband did. That he where you say, you know, in the beginning the sex was amazing, but then six months in he started rejecting all of my advances. Okay. That wasn't about him not being interested in sex. That was about him not uh, wanting to really be on an equal plane with you. That is that he wants to be sexual on his terms. He wants to be the one acting and you the one acted upon. And so you're saying it really hurt because he wouldn't receive me. And then you said for a while I would give myself to him out of insecurity. Like I wanted to like, okay, maybe I will acknowledge or respond to him when he comes to me. But it didn't feel good because, as you said, it felt controlling and disrespectful to me, which I think is exactly what it was. And so, I, you know, then you go on to say I tried to kind of cope with that by just fo focusing on the physicality of it and the pleasure of it. But it, in fact, felt empty. And I think it feels empty because you can, as I was talking about in the first question, you can actually feel the meaning that's alive between you, which is he's not bringing his heart to me anymore. He is in a diminishing or demeaning position relative to me where he wants the control. He wants to have sex on his terms. Um, but he's not bringing his heart to me or receiving me. And you could you can feel that meaning, and it hurts because um, you can't. As you say, I don't feel close to him or loved by him, and the affection isn't about I value you, I love you, I like you, I like being close to you. The affection, as you put in quotes in your question, is more about this is the initiation of you uh, letting me have sex with your body, and so it's. It's no wonder that it's distressing for you. It's no wonder that it feels humiliating to you in a sense. And I think you're seeing, you know, your husband likes control. And so he does this dual life where he looks like the perfect husband. He looks like the pillar of the community on the outside. But he uh, does a certain kind of cruelty on the inside. A phrase I've heard uh, David Schnarch say in some of his presentations, which comes it's a German saying, it's Strass Angel Haus Teufel, that street angel house devil, so that you know how to look good on the outside, but on the inside, in your most intimate relationships, you can engage a kind of quiet tyranny. And I know my response maybe sounds very harsh, but th this is at least what I see you talking about in your question and pornography for someone like this is often ex an expression of I want sexuality on my terms I want to feel in control I want very little exposure 
Um, I'm okay with you with the duplicity. I'm okay with you being uncomfortable. And I think that then when you start setting limits on it and saying, I don't want to be a part of this, I don't want the humiliation that's a part of it, that then he twists it and makes it about poor me. He feels like a victim and he says he doesn't feel accepted by me because of this. So he's doing what I, unfortunately, some of my clients do, which is I'm going to twist this and say that you're the one who's rejecting me because you won't do things on my terms. And you won't basically submit to me being in control at your expense. And they, when you say he really can't see what he's doing, it's possible that he can't see. But what's more typical is that people can see. I mean, in reality, they can feel their negative impact and that it feels pleasurable in a way, right? That uh, many people like the negative impact they have on the people around them. People that are abusive, it's not because they can't see the impact they're having on their spouse. It's that they take pleasure in their destructiveness, in their capacity to be destructive. And so it, it could be that he, has, that he has no idea what he's doing. And, and that's different than saying he's fully awake to himself. I, I recognize that he isn't. I recognize that he probably has a narrative that he tells himself that justifies um, a kind of emotional hostility or cruelty that he is engaging. I mean, he has a way of justifying the duplicity that he gives one picture in the public and he does another thing in private. But that's different than saying he's truly blind because he knows he knows not to be, bring his his cruel side into public and not to bring his nice side into private. <laughs> so. That is to say, it's organized internally, even if he's not um, acknowledging of what he's doing. And so, so my advice, I think, you know, I recognize this is my best guess on what's going on. It's, uh, it, I recognize it sounds harsh. I'm not sure that a 12-step program is entirely helpful with the exception of the fact that step four is about an acknowledgement. Um, step four is about an accounting for your impact on other people. Self-confrontation um, is critical if the marriage is to get better. Self-being willing to really deal with himself is essential if there is any chance of this relationship becoming a safer place to be, uh, a more loving place to be, because he would have to be willing to really look at his interest in ownership or control over another person rather than a relationship that's about intimacy and friendship and reciprocity. And sounds like he's not that interested in that. Uh, maybe he wants the visibility of a 12-step program, perhaps, I'm not sure, but he's not going to a therapist as recommended. He's not doing, sounds like, maybe, I mean, maybe he's doing a little bit of self-confrontation. It sounds like he's becoming more aware of his dual life um, tendencies. 
But I think there's a lot that he would really need to face if he were to be in a position even to start to develop himself into a more trustworthy human being. So I think on your side, if you were my client and you were sitting in in my office, I would be helping you better see your husband and what's going on in the relationship and helping you to start seeing um, yourself in the dynamic, how you have perhaps um, been either um, blind to it or at least condoning of it. By that I mean just tolerating it. Uh, If you have been, I would be helping you to start talking more honestly about what you see and what you experience because I think he would need to start seeing himself in this dynamic. Um, I would be looking at who you've been in the dynamic, basically. Um, Sounds like you are waking up to who he is, and it sounds like you are setting limits on it in a healthy way. Um, The real issue is whether or not he's willing to face himself in terms of the viability of the marriage. Uh, if your interpretation of this guy is true, I just want to know that there's he's in a minority group in the world. <laughs> sounds like Al Pacino in a movie or something like that. Well, like a double Brian, agent. I would like, I would, <laughs> yeah, he's a minority, but not as as small a minority as we would like to think. Mm. I mean, people, we like the idea that people are well intended. Yeah. It's just not true. Human beings are capable of evil. I mean, this is in our theology. You can't get Nazi Germany without a taste for evil and sadism. And we all have that in us. You know, if you want to watch an interesting clip on human tendencies, there's uh, 60 Minutes did a, a bit on research on babies. And um, these were little baby bigots okay they were cute little bigots but <laughs> you could see these babies were capable of pro-social loving interactions and you, you can see in the research they were doing and uh, i won't explain it all now but you could also see that the babies would take delight in the suffering of of a stuffed animal that they didn't identify with i know this sounds very complex like how can you figure out if they identified with a stuffed animal <laughs> or not but they they had a way of doing this research it was really fascinating and the reality is that these babies were capable of compassion and care as well as sadism and hatred. And that is the human condition. We're capable part of both. Of who we are. It's part of who we are yeah. and our denial of it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us at all. I think the people that are able to really function well in relationships are able to handle their hateful impulses, are better able to recognize them and to control them. It's those of us that take glee in them and build lives around them that really do a lot of damage. Yeah. And, you know, there's, that's why sometimes I take the position that, you know, a lot of times we have the idea that porn creates the monster. But my response to that is often, you know, even if the internet shut down tomorrow, you would still be married to a self serving, limited partner <laughs> who, will take pleasure at your expense. The porn is an expression of that fundamental challenge. Mm-hmm. It may facilitate it. It may keep it alive in them, but um, it's not controlling them from afar. 
right? So, so anyway, so I think we do better to look at our own impulses and what we're doing in our sexual relationships than to just say that eroticism is the problem. Hmm. It's too simple of a frame, in my opinion. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess like I, uh, it's just such an awful situation. Um, even if it's you know not at the worst end of the possibilities of this, it's still an awful situation. So I'm just wondering. I mean, like what? what are the best coping mechanisms regardless of what the outcome is, you know, since she can't control what he's going to choose to do. Right. Um, what are some of the best coping mechanisms she could deal with to keep her own sense of self-worth regardless of whether or not he comes around yeah. and recognizes his behavior? Cause he may, and it might be great or he may not and continue yeah. just being destructive. Right. That's a very good question. So I think that what she wants to do is not try and control him, but control herself. That is, you know, a lot of times people who are dealing with a spouse who is doing destructive things, compulsive things, self-serving things, the way that they get hooked into the dynamic is the fantasy that I can somehow change him or get him to be the partner that I've wanted or that this is somehow has something to do with me. And then it can, you can expend a lot of energy trying to get them to dot, 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 you know, whatever it is. And that's part of the system that keeps it alive because the offending partner, to use that language, doesn't, as long as they know their spouse is kind of hooked and trying to get them to be something else, they can kind of not deal with their situation. If they realize like, I'm going to actually lose my spouse if I don't get my act together and start dealing more honestly or fairly. That's the kind of pressure that gets people to to get a hold of themselves. So, you know, there's no virtue in propping up tyrants. There's no virtue in keeping a system, an unhealthy system alive. And sometimes we confuse that with virtue. We confuse that with patience and long suffering and, and uh, so on rather than, real goodness is that I will control who I am and how I respond in this marriage and respond to your choices uh, and decide what I think is right or creates goodness or is fair in the face of your choices. The second thing I would say about it is that the truth sets you free. The truth sucks, but it sets you free. Okay, that's the part they edited out. (laughs) The truth makes you miserable often, but it ultimately sets you free. That is, a lot of times we want to kind of minimize or go into denial, maybe even in our desire to somehow control our partner, is to not really see who they are, not really see what they're choosing or not choosing. And so staying earnest in really understanding what your spouse is in fact doing and choosing. If they're choosing better, they're really trying to be better. It's good to see it and to know it and acknowledge it because it will shape your choices. If they're trying to give the picture of doing goodness, but they in fact are not, um, that's extremely important for knowing whether or not there's any meaningful repentance happening or it's just about um, keeping a picture alive so that they can continue to have control. Um, I think the other thing I would say is that trying to not make it personal to you, I think, would be really valuable as well. Because I think that it can feel, if you have a spouse that rejects you, 
from six months in the marriage on, it can really twist you up, it can really make you feel like somehow you weren't worthy of their love, you somehow aren't worthy of their desire, you somehow didn't deserve to really be cherished or cared for. And so that self-deception or that uh, misconstruction within the marriage is often the way that people stay hooked into an unhealthy marriage. So having the courage to to try and to um, disentangle what is about me in this marriage and what is about my husband and to not get infected with the idea that their shortcomings are somehow an expression of you. Now, I'm all for people taking responsibility for whatever they are in fact responsible for. And sometimes your shortcomings do impact your partner for, uh, obviously, we can have positive and negative impacts on our spouse. So you always, I encourage people to take an honest look at themselves and to deal with anything they're doing that is is disrespectful to themselves or to their spouse. Um, but discerning what isn't your responsibility is equally important, right? Because there's, again, no virtue in taking responsibility for something that belongs to someone else. It actually interferes with their development if you do take it on. Um, one of the things that I'm realizing as we're discussing here is... Uh... Pornography comes up relatively frequently in these uh, questions, mm -hmm. and I think it's often viewed as the disease. The way you're responding to this question kind of dispels that, but it's a harder truth that mm -hmm. yes. uh, it's more the person because we have this idea like, okay, we have this porn problem if we go to the 12-step program. And we mm -hmm. get our life in order and we fix the porn problem, then our relationship will be fixed and, you know, right. everything will be great. And that's just almost never true. I mean, I've watched people who have stopped looking at porn, for example, but there's still a lot of anxiety in the marriage. There's a lot of anxiety about sexuality. There's a lot of anxiety about kind of is the porn going to come and infect me again? Yeah. And the people that I see really get free is they really confront who they are, how they are in their lives and how they are in their relationships and what kind of human being they are. And that is, it's like the, the control. It, it is a harder truth. I think it's the right way to say it. It's sometimes much harder to really look at who we are and what we're doing in our relationships and how we impact the other person. But it's also the locus of control is within yourself and who you are, not this kind of sometimes as our in our anxiety about sexuality and eroticism, we put the locus of control outside of ourselves, like the temptations are going to come and get you, mm -hmm. the pornography mm -hmm. and, the, and the seductively dressed woman, it's going to come and take you over. And it creates uh, a sense of powerlessness and anxiety about our sexuality that really interferes with our development of people capable of intimacy and trust and trustworthiness and so on. So I'm, I'm really interested in, in helping people become trustworthy and helping them engage their sexuality in responsible and loving ways. But I'm, I'm seldom talking to people about porn as the problem. Yeah. Cause even this guy, if he's not this, you know, 
very self-aware sadist. Uh, right. <laughs> if in his mind he's like, well, I just, this porn is the issue. And yeah, I feel bad, but I keep going back to it. And, yeah. you know, he's not really confronting himself. He's, uh, if that's the way he's thinking, he's kind of Absolutely. deflecting his bad behavior and his, uh, you know, his re- poor relationship with his wife, uh, putting that onto the porn instead of on himself. Absolutely. It's a way of looking like you're doing something without doing something. He can go to the 12 steps program. He can talk about his disease or whatever and make it look like he's doing something. And it's even cruel that his wife's not having sex with him because he has this challenge and she's making it more tempting. You know, a lot of people who do that, who use the idea that they have a porn addiction to keep control in the marriage and to keep their spouse sort of jumping through their hoops and, um, not really confronting themselves. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Lots to think about. (laughs) Um, all right. Well, um, well, those are two great questions. Um, very different. And the last one, uh, pretty tough to read and think about, but, um, very provocative, uh, as we discussed it. So thank you for that. So that's one more installment of the Ask the Mormon Sex Therapist podcast series on rationalface.com. And as always, you can submit your own questions by emailing askdrfife at rationalface.com or leaving a comment in the show notes. Laurel and Jennifer, thank you both for being on the podcast. Thank you. My pleasure. And we will do it again in the near future. Thank you.